America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money and your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock, and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP, are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor based in Los Angeles with one goal in mind, to provide thoughtful, generational, and tax-efficient investment advice while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasters, speculators, and their conjecture. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Along with engineer Griff in the booth, let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where are we going today? Uh, thank you, Mark. I, I always love hearing your intro and I appreciate you doing that live. For our many listeners, it's different every time. Uh, we could do the canned uh, intro and outro, but uh, we don't want to rob you of the, of the uniqueness of Mark's intro. So thanks for delivering that again, Mark. You mentioned in your intro that uh, money is number three on the important things in life list. Uh, number one is family. And as you said, we have one of the proud members of our podcast family on the podcast, Griff. So um, fresh from Israel and salmonella poisoning. Uh, welcome back, Griff. Thank you. Thank you. Feels good to be back. <laughs> a lot of people haven't been uh, uh, traveling uh, because of COVID and then it's been a mess, gas prices. So let us all live vicariously through you. Do you have, do you have one awesome uh, Israel story for us? Um, I have a lot of awesome Israel stories, but let me think. Probably my favorite one was we woke, we all woke up at like four in the morning to go hike Masada and we all like watched the sunrise from the top. And it was like one of the coolest things I've ever done. That's, uh, that sounds awesome. Mark, when you went to Israel, did you do that? We took the uh, tram uh, up to the top of Masada. I was not interested at all in hiking up that mountain. <laughs> uh, plus it was about 105 degrees, but uh Griff, I'm living vicariously through you and taking that trek up up the side. That's 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 a that's a that's a real feat. Good congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was worth it. It was really cool. For our listeners at home, that's spelled M-A-S-A-D-A. -A -A. Uh, it does look beautiful and like quite the hike. Uh, good workout. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's a good story, Griff. I appreciate it and for putting you on the spot. And I'm going to put you on the spot again. Uh, so this podcast, um, I've been recently watching the greatest concert of all time, the Queen Live Aid performance in full on YouTube, which um, if you haven't seen it, it's timeless. My six-year-old loves it. Uh, Griff, have you watched it? I, I haven't watched it. Next on my to-do list, though. <laughs> perfect, perfect. You just got back. You're very busy. Um, but but this podcast, I, I, I think the title may be um, after the great Queen song, The Hammer to Fall. Uh, interest rates are the hammer. The Federal Reserve has finally taken it out of their toolkit. And just last in June, uh, the Fed raised interest rates by Mark Cooperstock's predicted forecasted amount, 75 basis points. Mark, um, I can't even remember, but on a previous podcast, you went on record calling for what ended up being quite the surprise of a 75 basis point rate hike, right? Yeah, actually, I was, I was one meeting cycle early. I predicted that for the uh for the, the winter meeting, uh, the first part of the year, but the Fed finally came through uh, in the spring and, and, and did it. Um, it wasn't a surprise to us. So they've been trying to play 
play catch up with interest rates to really try to get a stranglehold on inflation. And that's, uh, I think it's just the first of many uh, rate increases of, of, of like size. So, Well, it's interesting. So the biggest criticism of the Fed is um, most people agree they did a, a great job in COVID. The biggest criticism is they were too slow to raise rates uh, when the uh, monetary largesse that was used to rescue the economy in COVID um, was the, on the fiscal side, the, the stimulus checks or the stimmies, uh, um, the uh, business loans, which were uh, the PPP later forgiven. The biggest criticism is the Fed was too slow. So Mark, you were right on time. So uh, are you ready to join the Federal Reserve or maybe their, maybe their, their advisory board? You know, I haven't worn, I'm not used to wearing a tie and suit anymore, so I don't think so. But, <laughs> America but one, can use your service. One quick point, Steve, um, and we talked about this on a, on a podcast a couple of years ago as COVID was kicking off, and it was early April, and they interviewed Jerome Powell, who's the, 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 the chair of the Federal Reserve, and the question, because interest rates were driven to zero, um, as you just referenced, there was a lot of money being pumped into the economy to salvage the economy at that point in April. And one of the questions posed to him was, what about inflation? And he actually said, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, he used the word, kick the can down the street on inflation. Like That's we're not worried about American policy for 40 years, I think, but continue. Yeah, but, but to have a Federal Reserve board chair actually say that in a press conference in an interview was kind of stunning. And I remember, you That's know, watching point. it and like saying, what did he just say? Um, but he did. And, and you're right. This has been the, this has been the policy for, for decades, certainly since the financial crisis in 08. Um, and now, as you said earlier, they're, they're playing catch up. They're playing, they're playing from behind and they're trying to catch up as fast as they can. Um, I, 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 I'll see if I can find the quote by the end of the podcast, but that is pretty incredible that he, he taught, I, I, yeah, it's coming back to my memory, but ta- the federal reserve chairman talking about kicking the can to your point, we are now past the part of the road where we pass the can. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I wish the fed would have listened to Mark, but because they didn't inflation spiked official, uh, depending on the metric, the preferred one of the federal reserve, the most recent reading was over 8%. So now the Fed is in a hurry to uh, catch up. Um, and again, coming back to the podcast theme, the interest rates are the hammer that drives so many things in the economy. Griffey, if, if you happen to have uh, the lyrics for Queen's great song, Hammer to Fall in front of you, would you mind reading us a, a pertinent quote? Of course, no, no problem. <laughs> you don't waste no time at all. Don't hear the bell, but you answer the call. It comes to you as to us all. We're just waiting for the hammer to fall. That'd be a great place for the sound engineer, Mark, to enter a ding. Or a quote from Freddie Mercury. Yeah, well, well said, Griffin. So the, the Fed was swinging their, their hammer uh, as powerful as Thor's hammer. Um, Mark, I, I know uh, uh, you watch it very closely. Uh, it, the, the bond markets are in your blood. Uh, the, the U.S. Treasury yield curve it was basically uh, had been asleep for a decade. Uh, we started the year, uh, the one, two month, three month treasuries were yielding uh, 0.1% uh, on December 31st, 2021, New Year's Eve. If you went out two years, 
and bought U.S. Treasury bonds, you got a yield of 0.7%. If you went all the way out to 30 years and lent the U.S. government, and uh, you got 1.9%. Uh, Mark, where is the yield curve now? So the yield curve is very interesting right now. As, as we uh, are recording this podcast, the 10-year U.S. Treasury is at 295 uh, the 30 year that you referenced um, is at 3.14. But more interestingly, the shorter term rates have really jumped. And the three month US Treasury is at 2.15. And that was essentially zero six months ago. Uh, so if you bought a three month Treasury bill today, for, you would have on an annualized basis a return of 2.15% interest. Um, However, and, and I know we're going to get into this now, we, we have what's, what's referred to as an inverted yield curve. So if you go out 10 years, you can get 2.95 with U.S. Treasuries. If you go out one year, you get 3.06. So what does that tell you? You can get a better return short term than going longer term. And when we see an inverted yield curve, and it's like that all the way through the one, two, three, and five years um, maturities, you know, that doesn't speak well for the economy or to the economy um, as to where we are right now or where we have most recently been. I don't think, I can't think of anything that sounds good with the word inverted attached to it. You know, it just, it right. just sounds like, it just sounds like something bad. Right. Um, if either of you can think of something good, let me know. Um, and before we go on from this, uh, 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 from those rates, a pop quiz for our intern Griff. Um, so, if you if you lend money to the U.S. government for three months, they'll pay you about two percent. Okay, let's say you have a bank account. Uh, um, what do you think banks might be paying uh, for the for the cash you have in the account? And I'll give you a specific pop quiz here. Let's say you have excess cash in Schwab, what they euphemistically call their high yield investor savings account. Okay, the U.S. government for no risk is paying you 2% for three months. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, what do you think Schwab's high yield cash rate is today? Uh, well, I, I'm just thinking of like my, my, I have like a savings account at like Chase and all I know is I get like super low, like, like really, really small amounts. So I'm trying to think. You're on the right track. Like, like maybe like a percent or yeah, maybe like 1% or less than that maybe. That, that perfect. It's definitely less than that. Uh, the Schwab High Yield Investor Savings Account is currently paying zero point one eight percent, point one eight. Um, so, if you give the money to the government for three months, two percent. If you leave it at Schwab, zero point one eight percent. So, for any of our listeners, if you have cash at J.P. Morgan, at Schwab, at Wells Fargo, and any bank account, um, a year ago. Uh, or even seven months ago, you weren't really penalized because the government was paying nothing. Risk-free money was paying nothing. Now it's 2%. So if you have any cash in the bank, please don't leave it in the bank. Uh, you can buy short-term U.S. treasuries. There's ETFs that do that. If you have any questions, uh, you can shoot us an email. Mark, what's our email? It's info, I-N-F-O, at mk-am.com. Yeah, if you have any questions, please let us know. Griffey, we'll work with you on your cash allocation. Um, Bill, Bill Gross, the legendary bond manager, who's my mom's neighbor in Laguna Beach, he obviously uh, uh, was a founder of PIMCO. Uh, he recently wrote a piece and said, you know, for all the markets, getting 2.8%, 3% in, in two-year U.S. Treasury bills is one of the best risk returns out there. 
Um, so certainly for cash and shorter term liquidity needs, uh, I, I just harp on it one more time. And Mark, if you want to bold underline, emphasize this, but guys, you could get good money uh, with no risk in US treasury bills and bonds. So please don't leave your money in just pure cash. Uh, if you want to, Mark, you anything to add to that? Yeah, no, that, that's, I think that's enough said about that. And uh, you know, we're, we even go into the corporate market and buy really good quality names, names you would know, um, you know, American Express, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, JP Morgan, the banks, some of the banks. Um, we, our ladders right now, uh, we did a one and a half, about a one and a half year maturity, which the, the, our client is getting 3.5% is the average return on that for one and a half years. So yeah, Griffey, uh, a long way, baby, since uh, the beginning of the year. Griffey, pop quiz. What's higher, three point five or zero point one eight? I'm gonna go with three point five. Perfect. You're betting a thousand. Um, <laughs> th- thanks for those numbers, Mark. And for for us, it's certainly been um, w- when you're younger, you're focused on compounding returns at, at the highest rate, and you have a long time horizon. But um, for corporations that have liquidity needs, endowments, foundations retirees living off their income, um, going from a world of zero on cash or short-term bonds to 3%, 4%, 5% is, is a really big deal. Um, it, it makes a big difference. Okay. The Federal Reserve raised interest rate 0.75%. It's had reverberations we'll talk about in the housing market, in the bond market, in the stock market. Stocks are down 20%. Bonds are down long-term bonds are down uh, over 10%. One of the worst bear markets in bond history. All of a sudden, inventory is building up in the housing market, all because the Federal Reserve took the Fed funds rate to 1.5%. Doesn't sound like a lot. And part of it is the market market is front running where the Fed is going. When we look at the futures market, the market gives a 90% odds, 90% odds that in July, on July 27th, uh, which is not too far away, about 15 days from now, the market gives 90% odds that the Fed's going to raise rates to 225 to 2.5%. Mark, do you think yeah. the Fed's going to cut? So that's a 0.75% increase. Do you think I think that's almost a certainty and I'll go out on a limb right now and have Mulholland and Cooper stock predict that 75 basis point uh, increase at the end of July. Um, let me just add one quick thing. Um, so the Fed funds rate is the rate that banks can borrow overnight from the government, from the Federal Reserve. That's kind of the base rate upon which all other rates are, are built upon. So you have that base rate and then the banks add, you know, what their profit margin is, what they think they can get. Then you have car loans, you have credit card rates. They all fluctuate with this federal funds rate. So if you can imagine the base going up or going down, the interest rates you pay Every day when you pay your bills, and whether it's your mortgage or your car loan, um, are going to go up and down as the Fed raises its Fed fund Fed funds rate. So this 1.5 to 2.25 number we're talking about um, is just the beginning for consumers. Go ahead, Steve. Perfect. And um, so uh, one of the biggest ramifications of the Fed funds rate changing, uh, which through the curve uh, impacts the 10-year Treasury rate. The 10-year treasury rate uh, is the causal variable that determines mortgage rates. The mortgage rate price is incredibly important because that impacts uh, home prices. Mortgage rates, Mark, what did mortgage rates start the year and what are mortgage rates now, more or less? 
uh, mortgage rate, I just checked the uh, 30 year, and this is the national average, 30 year fix is 5.71. So just under 6% uh, at the, at the, in January, I think you still could get a 30 year mortgage for 375 to maybe 4%. Right. And, and last year, last year you could get below 3% or 3%. So right. mortgage right. rate, right. So mortgage rates effectively doubled in a year's time or less. Um, so obviously that has, and, and the increase as, as Mark mentioned, the increase was just the last few months. Um, so already uh, in June, data courtesy of calculated risk and Bill McBride, our neighbor up in uh, Newport Beach, um, had the data point that inventory increased 19% in June, housing inventory, meaning homes available, available for sale. So the Fed raises rates, the mortgage rate goes up. It's now more expensive to borrow money to buy a home. home so the home price goes up. So homes sit on the market longer. So right. basically, right. And the biggest... Um, so housing inventory is incredibly important to watch. Uh, drilling down into individual markets, uh, Albuquerque, month over month in the month of May, uh, because of interest rates rising, inventory went up by 20% over April, but was still down 19% from May of 2021. So inventory is spiking in Phoenix, Austin, Albuquerque, um, San Diego, it's up 10%. Um, but inventory was so low before, uh, it's going to take time to catch up. Um, the longer the time we have rates that are high, the longer homes will sit on the market. And so far that has slowed the housing market, but it, we haven't seen big reductions in prices yet. Um, some, new, some new home builders are, uh, are giving concessions uh, home sellers are always loath to take prices below what they had hoped for. So we're still in the early innings of the housing adjustment process. Uh, but the one of the biggest, and the Federal Reserve is very well aware of this and talks about this all the time, one of the biggest transmission mechanisms that rising interest rates slows the economy is through housing. And right now the Federal Reserve is trying to slow the economy to reduce inflation uh, which the the uh, last inflation print of headline CPI was 8.5%. So the Fed is consciously trying to slow the economy through housing by raising interest rates. So right. far, Mark, we've seen that show up yeah. in inventory. And next will probably be to look for price reduction. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so um, because I, I have this list in front of me that you, that you so graciously provided. So you're right, you're talking about overall averages, but look at some of the target cities that have been big destination points for people that have that made moves, right? Changed their lives during during and post-COVID. So we moved to Las Vegas. So inventories are up 48% month over month from wow. April to May. Um, Austin, Texas, another really hot destination. You couldn't get a moving company for six to nine months because they were so backed up, up 51%. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, up 61%. That's just from April to May of this year. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you, well, you, you're, you know, you're increasing inventory by 50%. What's that going to do to prices and wait and wait times, right? How long are you going to be on the market for? So, yeah, I think we're, I think we're slowing down here. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're right. Some of these numbers are eye popping. Uh, Nashville up 44%. Uh, Portland, 24%. Um, Griffey, on, on the list, 
with a big spike in inventory, which of these cities would you like to buy a house in? Just, you know, as a fun mental exercise, what's the coolest city on here that's getting cheaper? Hmm. Let's see. Say Las Vegas. Say <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking more like Nashville. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, 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 um, uh, my wife's cousin just bought a home in Nashville for a million bucks, which to Nashvillians, I think is a high price, but for expatriate New Yorkers is a, is a bargain. Um, Nashville is a great, by the way, have you been to Nashville? I haven't been to Nashville, but maybe, maybe I'll go soon. You never know. Perfect. Well, meet with some realtors, schedule some, some appointments <laughs> along the way. Uh, Nashville is an excellent choice. Um, okay. So um, the hammer to fall uh, has finally been swung interest rates. It's already having impacts. We're going to revisit on the podcast as things develop. Um, interestingly, because housing is so important, mortgage rates rose so much. And as, as Mark pointed out, inventory spiked so much. The market's already pricing in that this is going to start to slow down the economy pretty dramatically. So coming back to the yield curve, um, after rates really spiked, they've started to fall a little bit. And the economy, it, it'll be really interesting, uh, but the markets are already pricing in that the Federal Reserve is tightening too quickly. And the market's already starting to pivot. Like inflation is old news, even though that Anyone who buys, uh, who drives a car and buys gasoline, buys groceries, uh, anyone who's in the market to buy a home is still focused on inflation. The market's already pivoting to worrying about inflation, to worrying about a slowing economy from rates rising. So we're going to revisit all these themes on future podcasts. Um, and I, it makes sense because the market's so fast moving these days. Uh, but just in the last few weeks and this month, the market's already starting to pivot from worrying about inflation to slowing economy for the dynamics we mentioned. So this is definitely a theme we'll keep revisiting on, on the podcast. And um, to tie it back into something we said earlier, poking fun a little bit at the brokerages and banks and how they, you know, when oil prices fall, gas stations don't raise their prices that quickly. They enjoy, this is the way it's always worked. They enjoy fatter profit margins for a little bit of time. Economists talk about, um, that gas prices rise like a bullet or something like that and fall like a feather, right? Well, interest rates rose like a rocket and the banks are raising cash rates like a feather, right? Um, but the, the good news, one of the good news, uh, 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 pieces of good news from this is, as Mark mentioned earlier, bond rates are so much higher. Uh, Mark, I, I've got a table up here of some sample yield, sample returns. You already mentioned the bond ladders. Um, but um, do you have any more comments? Like, obviously, it was yeah. such a big shift. Like, if you have any more comments, sort of on the bond market, and then yeah, one just- one one quick comment, and and then I'll yell, wake up to everybody listening. Um, one of the reasons, and you just commented, the rates have fallen in the last week or two, right? I mean, the the ten year today is at two ninety five. It was three twenty just a couple of weeks ago. Part of the reason too is is you have cash flowing into the United States, so rates around the world, mm. we are we now are you know the best rate, right? We're the best place. We're still the kind of the, the, the standard by which all other, you know, sovereignties are judged around the world for security and predictability. And, and I don't think anybody around the world is worried the U.S. government's going to default on its treasuries. So we, we're at 295 on the 10-year. Just by comparison, the U.K. sovereign, this is the U.K. government 10-year bond is a 2.0, 2.06. In Japan, it's 0.23. In Germany, is 0.991. 
Now, the, the only outlier might be Canada is 3.18, but hey, it's Canada. So uh, in, in terms of safety and security, you have a lot of cash from around the world coming in and buying our treasuries, right? Buying our bonds because they're safe. Well, there's an inverse relationship between price and rate. So as more people are bidding and buying our bonds, right? It drives the prices higher, which drops the rates a little bit. And I think that's one factor into what we're seeing uh, with rates down 20 or 30 basis points over the last week. I, I, I do agree with you. We have some of this increases baked in in anticipation of the Fed raising rates. But I think six months from now, we're going to be seeing much higher rates than we see right now. No, well said. Mark, did, did you give the, um, I, I really appreciate you um, mentioning the, the foreign exchange uh, uh, rates. Did you mention uh, the, the, that, that statistic to your point? Uh, actually, we have, a, we have a, um, a friend of the podcast who just read a book on the carry trade. And what Mark is saying is exactly right, that um, with the U.S. raising interest rates and being a relatively strong economy, that money comes from Japan and from all over the world seeking higher interest rates. So the US dollar is 8% higher in a trade weighted basket versus other currencies. And um, like as Mark mentioned, uh, but uh, there are positives and negatives to that. Um, US corporations are, very, uh, you know, they're multinationals. Microsoft has licenses all over the world. Um, that's gonna, so th these are such interesting forces because they have first and second order effects, but the higher dollar means you're going to start to hear on quarterly earnings calls, uh, Apple, when Apple sells an iPhone in Vietnam or China, in dollar terms, it's going to be worth effectively 8% less uh, than it was a year ago. So um, there's all these cross currents going on, but the higher dollar actually will become another force cooling the economy in terms of reducing the competitiveness of exports. So Mark, that's I'm really glad you brought in that point. And on that, uh, unless our intern returning from Israel has any, do you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Griff, do you have any questions based on what we talked about or, or comments or input? Um, I guess one of my questions would be like, if the, if like you can get a higher return buying a, like a shorter term bond, why would anyone buy like the longer term ones right now? If like their money's locked up for longer and they get less back. Oh, uh, I, Griffy, you, you don't know how good you make my heart feel. I, I, I hear I hear the future bond analysts coming across loud and clear. And you're absolutely right. And, and it's for that reason we have for years been buying short-term bonds because we've been waiting for this rise in interest rates, right? The idea is you buy something that matures in six months, a year, year and a half. When that and you're earning a decent rate now, when it matures in six months, a year, year and a half we strongly believe we will then reinvest those dollars in even higher rates. Uh -huh. So you're right. To go longer to get a, uh, a, a lesser return makes no sense. And, and the, reason, the reason some investors will do that is they're predicting there's going to be a nasty recession because of the Fed tightening. So they, they want to lock in those rates while they're there. And uh -huh. they're basically predicting the short, short end of the curve is going to come down. So the only people who would want to buy long-term U.S. Treasury bonds right now are people who are pretty bearish on the economy. Okay. Got it. Great question. Better answer. Griff, we give you an A+, and really every podcast is better with you on, on it. So we, we, we look forward to you joining whenever you can. Mark, if you have any parting thoughts or you want to give us uh, your wonderful outro. Yeah, no, I think we've covered the, the, this pretty thoroughly. We are going to be following up uh, uh, 
probably in a week or so or two weeks um, with an update. And as we get closer to the Fed's uh, decision, we'll come back and talk about that and the effects on the markets um, and keep the conversation going. Um, thanks, Griff. Thanks, Steve. Uh, remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice. And please consult with your own financial advisor and tax advisor whenever considering any investment. If you have questions and you're one of our clients, please email us with the term podcast in the subject line. For more information about the podcast, the hosts, and our firm, please visit us at www.mk-am.com or email us at info at mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us and look and listen for our next podcast release in the very near future. Thank you.